It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a great pleasure to have with us here on the show. We have Alyssa P. with us, and she is here to talk to us about a a recent uh, concert she put on uh, in honor uh, of uh, Joyce Eshaquan and uh, that story that came to our attention, uh, the unfortunate uh, story. uh, uh, But uh, Alyssa P. and some other artists got together and they did a benefit concert for in honor of her. And it's a pleasure to have uh, Elispe with us here on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, well, it is a, a pleasure, as I say, to to have you here on the show. You were the uh, the co the co uh, producer of this uh, this this benefit concert that you put on for Joyce Eshaquan and a tribute to her. And um, you, you had a, you, you really got some great artists to take part in this. Now I noticed when I was looking it up um, that the one artist that I don't see mentioned uh, is Jeremy Dutcher, but, but he, he's kind of like one of the people that uh, almost second artist in he's, he's up there doing the honor song. Yes, of course. Uh, well, he is in. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know which uh, video or or uh, ad that you mm. saw. Really, depending, of course, you know, in Quebec, I think Jeremy uh, um, by but maybe not as mainstream mm. known, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely uh, very well loved. And uh, now that he's around <laughs> Montreal area, we mm. get to you know collaborate and have him you know join us for any events indigenous events and he had told me if there's anything that you know if there's anything going on he would love to participate and i was like oh my god that would be such an honor because we love jeremy so much so maybe you saw more of the french press mm. that didn't maybe had mentioned mm. because there was a lot of uh, francophone artists that <laughs> was really for us to to have also like dominique fissemi and mm-hmm. uh, Moffat, and of course uh um, people like uh, Patrick Watson, yes. who are very, very, you know, allies that are really important. And of course, uh, Florent Valant from Cashton back yeah, in the day, yeah. uh, sang a Cashton song. So yeah, it was a lot of uh, people in the in the show. So you may have seen maybe a few names in and there, a little bit mixed all over. So uh, I think that's what made the beauty of this show. It was a lot of people... And uh, Richard Seguin, his name sounds very familiar as well. Richard Seguin also, he's he's a longtime friend of uh, Florent Volant, for, mm. ex- for mm-hmm. instance, that's very close to the Inu Nation. Mm. Uh, Yves Lambert, uh, who does a very traditional trad music from mm. here, uh, very well known also, is very close to the Atsikamek Nation where, you know, Joyce uh, had died in Joliet. So he's very... He's a very strong ally, and I think it was important to have people like that. So did, um, you know, um, uh, Ariane Moffat. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it was also fun to to merge different uh, music, different songs with different artists and really collaborate. Mm-hmm. Not all the songs, but uh, we need to have a sense of togetherness, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. 
So that was the idea is to simply, simply, simply put truth, um, music, no artificial, you know, uh, we, we, we didn't really go for the big, you know, exaggeration of, 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 of the emotions because we were already very emotional mm. since the death of Joyce. And yeah. I think we needed a place to, like I said, to, to put, you know, emotions to to be able to put our emotions somewhere so we, i thought it'd be so nice if people could just feel while they watch this you know yeah uh, without necessarily needing to talk or justify anything because we've done a lot of that uh, in the last few months the last few weeks so yeah. it was nice to just have a place to a safe place you know right Elizabeth, you're very familiar to us here at Element FM because we do play your music, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you about this. Can you give us a little more of the of the background about how this came together? You know, you're the core artistic director of the concert. Uh, obviously, you wanted to pay tribute and honor Joyce's life. Um, how did you go about uh, getting this together? Well, this in this kind of situation, especially, uh, I had been very, um, well, you know, the, the last few years I've been busy making babies and, you know, <laughs> making albums once in a while, um, having had postpartum, mm. uh, having done a lot of, um, I guess, spiritual journey on mm. my part, identi- identity crisis mm. over the years, you know. Um, we were all, you know, vulnerable at times and i i think i was in a really good place where i felt like oh my you know i feel i'm really in touch with really who i am and Mm. and and i'm a lot kinder to myself as a mother and i think it was i was in a good place and and then a lot of things happen of course when covid arrives where we get Mm -hmm. a little bit ticked and we get a little bit like challenges and and that's only normal and then Joyce Ishakwan's death was um a real you know it really hit us, hit us hard you know after George George Floyd and also yeah. feeling like there are allies for there was a huge march for Black Lives Matter uh, matter and we were very you know involved and we really felt something very strong towards our our friends or like black community and they were very much there for us also when you know we marched um for our uh, justice for joyce so i think knowing all of that you you say you know how can i how can i speak my mind without necessarily going hysterical Mm. but yet you know tell a a story you know and and ask our our premier here, uh, which, um, you know, is completely denying systemic systemic racism in Quebec. He's saying, you know, some mm-hmm. Quebecers are not racist. Some people are racist. It's individuals who are racist. And I'm like, that's true. Of course, there are, you know, my friends are not, you know, not necessarily racist, but they've definitely acknowledged that they had been ignorant and that they had privileges. And so I think when you think about all these things, you start to think we need to be loud and clear, you know, but we do have a responsibility at the same time. But this video I had uh, shared on my um, 
Instagram, uh, it just happened like that. I, and I spoke briefly, but maybe a little long at the same time. But it had it was shared by many people, and I realized people need to um, to they need these kind of things. People talking in the in indigenous talking because they can't quite um, express how they feel, the ignorance uh, that they, they they had in their own lives with their parents who didn't really tell them about uh, indigenous people. So um, a lot of people shared that video, um, uh, non-indigenous people. So I think it was really important for people to feel like, okay, I support you guys. So, mm. And then um, French uh, Native Friendship Center in uh, Lanodia, where mm-hmm. Joliet in the, in that city, and um, the um, the theater where there's you know live performances. They decided, okay, we want to do something because we want to say that we are in, we are supporting indigenous people. We are there for them. So yeah, we were we were called many many people, and I I became the di- artistic director. <laughs> co-artistic director because it wasn't just me it was so many people it was a lot of hard work and very short time to try to gather people during covid on top of that so yeah so we decided to simplify everything just keep the songs rolling and keep sharing you know and feel like there's a real circle there's a real um emotion you know yeah. Mm-hmm. And the name uh that was Capitan, I believe that's uh that 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 is also uh, a reference to what you were talking about in terms of uh, getting together. Yeah, it it is really that that was really important I think for the people organizing it, producing it and also of course it really had um it was very meaningful for me because the the time where you know where we really need to support each other uh, to be heard on you know very much very important for indigenous people to feel like we are being heard at mm. least start with that right yeah it's healing just that is healing so um the show is called was capitan in atsikamek uh, community um joyce was atsikamek and uh, it means um getting together mm-hmm. being together so right. yeah and and it is available now. It's it's streaming under that name, and people can go there, and you and they can also make donations. Correct? Yes, it's going super well. That's I great. Mean, it's like for a um, a web show um, that was put together in a, such a short time with all the difficulties we had. Uh, we're super pleased, and it had some really good reviews. People were really moved, and. Um, yeah, it's reaching, uh, I'd say, 100,000 views. Uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it started off very well because we were like, oh, maybe there's going to be 30 people gonna, <laughs> who are going to watch it. It became like 30,000, mm. um, which is huge, you know, for for and it's for a good cause. And um, money, uh, The what they wanted is to be able to put 100,000 because the money that people are able to donate on, it's on wascapitan.org. All yep. the information are in there, and yep. it's going to directly go to uh, indigenous peoples in that area uh, yes. in La Nozière. And it's to they're thinking um, they're they're fundraising also for many things, but they are also working on a center 
where there's going to be a clinic, there's going to be an art area, there's going to be even housing for mm. people going into the city. Because, you know, let's never forget that discrimination, racism, a lot of times, most of the time happens when we are in urban areas, in urban environments. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, you say you threw this together rather quickly, which I completely understand, but it certainly does not look like that. When you go to the the site and view this, uh, I wasn't able to see the the whole thing, but certainly it looks extremely well put together and very professional, beautifully done. Uh, So congratulations to everyone, not only the artists that you got together, but the, the, you know, the whole crew that put this together as well. Yeah, there was a lot of loving, loving vibes. I mean, Jeremy was like, oh, well, we, we usually do these big shows, uh, TV shows, but this is the nicest welcoming uh, <laughs> place. Uh, you know, we made sure everybody, I think there was a lot of, um, the, I think the stress that we had gone through mm. uh, the last month trying to get this going was so extreme and so intense, like, I, I was supposed to do this for, I don't know, work on it for a good two, three weeks because the reality, that's all we really had. And it prolonged uh, further and um, it just took over my life. I mean, my poor kids, I have three kids at home and and, and, and my boyfriend on top of it helping me <laughs> out. Like, so we were like overworking, extremely emotionally tired mm-hmm. um, because also the artists I wanted to have I wanted to reach out to them and deal with them through me because I wanted I I didn't want people to feel like it's a thing that is organized by you know um people who do that I Mm. I I wanted to feel like we're doing this because we care Mm -hmm. uh we want to make um we want the emotion and the sharing to be able to be felt you know i think Mm -hmm. that was really important so yeah it's only normal um that we feel when we i'm anyway i i thought it was at the beginning i was like this is so this is not the perfect show i wanted i had in mind there's so many elements missing (laughs) or whatever but overall when i watched it finally you know with you know everybody uh, i i cried and Mm. it was very emotional because there was something real and and simple Mm. and sometimes simple is yeah what we need when we need to uh, feel emotions and um yeah so yeah jeremy was definitely very happy to be there and very proud so it really made me and all the artists who called me the next day florent who said there was something he said i don't know quite how to say but there was we felt the love and and the beauty. I think it's so important to to be able to talk about that because we spend a lot of our times like making videos where we're or posting things that mm. are tragic and and I think there we need to have a place also to just to let it sit and mm. feel. So hopefully, that's what happens to many people who watch. And you know, yeah, and watch this, and I I recommend. Everyone go to watch this. And as you mentioned, you people can go to wascapitan.org uh, to check it out there, make donations. And by the mm-hmm. way, you, you're going to see a wonderful lineup of fabulous artists. 
And an hour and a half, right? It's about an hour and a half long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's and a full I, concert. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, we didn't translate the English-speaking yeah. uh, people, mm. but there are wonderful people uh, towards the end who who got to say a few words. Also, yeah. it was important also to have. Uh, it's a fundraiser, right? So, yeah. Uh, Ellen Gabriel, um, this wonderful woman who was there during Oka crisis, who dealt with so much um she has a lot of experience a mm. beautiful beautiful woman who had a lot to say about you know instead of talking to politicians she decided you know what this is not a, a political thing this no, is a yeah. social thing yeah. we all have as individuals the power to make change so i thought it was so refreshing and so strong and so real mm. uh, it was a very powerful moment to hear uh, ellen gabriel also mm. um yeah and also we get to see what the kids are doing at the friendship center in Joliet and how it's important to have a center um for urban indigenous people mm. it's, it's it's yeah because that's 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 the reality Right now, is the is the video the the concert going to remain up on that site indefinitely, or does it? Um, well, it it is going to be there for a good month. Okay. Um, I have a feeling eventually we'll be able to. I don't know, have it available, maybe at the site of a. Yeah. Uh, Waskapidan dot org. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not very good at these things, but uh, <laughs> I know it's there until January three. Well, that's great. Well, that's good because we want people to get there uh, and check it out. Uh, I wanted to make sure it's that we got free. that out it's there. Free. <laughs> it's free, but you know, people, you can make donations, and uh, and and it's all for good cause. Yes. Very good cause, yeah. And and now we're getting close to the end of our time, but uh, let's be, as I mentioned, we play your music here. You know, a couple of the tracks that we, we play regularly are Wolves Don't Live by the Rules, and of course... Uh, yes. And Arnak, I love the, the Arnak tune. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, is a, it is a very strong song. It's my... Both those songs are my son's favorite. Arnak <laughs> is my little one's favorite. He, he likes to tap on the... Mm. He's two and a half, and uh, mm. he likes. Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then don't live by the rules is my Tayara. Tayara, my son, he's six, and uh, it's his favorite song. It's so cute because with his French kind of mm. accent, trying to <laughs> sing them. It's so cute, but I think he understands the meaning of that Willie Prasher song. Mm. It's, a, it's a very special song. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, going back to the concert, as you mentioned, Jeremy Dutcher, one of the artists that, that starts off the show. But uh, Patrick mm-hmm. Watson, uh, wow, that's great that you've, you've got yeah, him there, too. Yeah, a beautiful young um, uh, Manawan uh, kid. Well, he's originally from Manawan, I'd say. Yeah, but he lives in, in the city, in mm. Joliet. And he's talking about how you know, the the Onze Royaume, as I had written on uh, Indigenous uh, People's Day, I did a, a open letter that said, Dear Quebec, uh, this summer. Um, mm. I had posted on my Instagram. If you speak French, you could check it out. Mm. But I, think, I don't know if it could be translated, but mm. I'll try to have it translated. But I talked about, because we are 11 uh, First Peoples here, right? Mm. Uh, it's First Nations and Inuit. And... Uh, I said the Onze Royaume, I'd say 11 kingdoms, mm. 
mm. <laughs> um, just to give that imaginary. And he had used that. It's it's so beautiful. And he's talking about how his community is like this and this. And that's just the way he talks. It's so it's so beautiful mm. talking about his brothers and sisters mm. and uh, the whole indigenous family in Quebec. And at the end, he says, you know, you know, what am I to say? But, you know, I'm trying, I have my pride, although I'm this kid who had lost his mother tongue, but, mm. you know, I speak the words of truth still. Mm. You know? it's like, mm. oh! And then Pat Watts, <laughs> Patrick Watson is accompanying him on the piano and we didn't want to reveal Pat right away. We just right. wanted to make it about Jan. Yeah. And Pat was very moved uh, and yeah. very touched. Yeah. So I think he's no, donated also some, uh, instruments recording instruments mm. to uh, the center so nice. it's made really beautiful yep. collaborations it's really important yeah. you know um i have to ask you this just before we go because i, I think that inuk artists uh contemporary artists are doing such great stuff these days I, I i think you guys are on you know the cutting edge of of great production and great sound and you guys bring something to the music that i think we don't find in other music, you know, it, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's unique music. And it's, and it's, um, and I don't say that in a trite way. I, I mean that in a very, very um, uh, complimentary way. It sets mm-hmm. you out, sets you different. And it makes you like, uh, you know, people that come to mind are, are like David Bowie, you know, he, he was so unique. He was so different and he could do so, so different mm-hmm. things. And, and I think of you guys that way, if, if you don't mind me saying so. What, what do you think it is that, that Inuk artists have or that is bringing that out in your music? Wow. Um, you know what? I never really see it that way. I don't actually think about that because what we, of course, like for me, for instance, I sing in my language. Mm. I think already the language, the way it sounds, the way we mm-hmm. we we use the words and the melodies mm. are very definitely different. Um, when I have to translate a song into Inuktitut, it becomes a whole new world. Mm. Just so because, yeah, the language, it's uh, the images and, and the way we sing. Also, we're from the very cold um, uh, har- harsh environment at times you know mm-hmm. yeah um where we are confronted by the nature um i mean there's no really other than i don't know other i, I can't even think of another place where it's most harsh i mean the cold winters it's 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 something that really affects and and dictates uh, the people so um, yeah, I guess there is that uh, being very, very connected um, to to the land. We're all, you know, in the in the in at the, near the bay. Mm. Um, I mean, if you think about it, not so long ago, our grandfathers were the the, the biggest hunters in the world. You mm. know, because mm-hmm. they had to really fight uh, to survive. So maybe there's that element that's very present. Uh, also, you know, throat singing. Mm. Um, definitely uh um but i think all music like indigenous music like willie mitchell really gets to me um um uh, all of the oldies 60s 70s folk music also really is beautiful for me um so i don't know i i I never really think about that but it's a nice compliment (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and we're glad we had a chance to get you on the show briefly. And we appreciate you do taking the time to join us and and share this, uh, you know, about the concert that you put together, as we said, uh, in honor and uh, and to pay tribute to uh, Joyce Ashkwan and mm-hmm. the tragic, uh, of course, the way that she her life ended, but and also the, the bringing of awareness about the systemic racism that you know yes. that we not only see in in Quebec but but right across the country towards she, indigenous she gave, people. The, she gave us so much strength you know and mm-hmm. we, we owe her we owe her a lot she will not be forgotten mm-hmm. and uh, if we could at least you know try to be wise and strong and uh, and bring awareness in in that way i think it's it's beautiful um yeah i think it's uh, a lot of things are changing slowly but things are definitely changing and i think it's time to take that and use it and also make awareness i mean everybody has a different way of um making awareness and i think we should all respect each other also as indigenous people because we tend to think oh yeah you have to do this you have to do like that we're all very different mm-hmm. um i know some artists are very soft spoken mm-hmm. they take their time some are very loud and they really have an effect to bring that imaginary uh world that we need you know uh, so we're all very different i think it's so important that we all respect each um, the way we do things, the most important thing is respect, you know, ask for respect and also show respect. Um, I think showing respect is being able to say, okay, you guys need to be aware of this. I'm going to take for granted that you want to stop living in the ignorant life, you know. So I think we also... Um, have to be aware that for some people, people don't can't help but be ignorant because they were not taught. So I think for me, um, the best way to get to people through my music is simply, you know, sing my songs mm. and get people emotional. Then they can come to our world and we can have a real um, conversation. Right. We need to have conversations. It's so important. Mm. Yeah. Nicely said, and what a wonderful way for our to for us to end our conversation here uh, on on the show. And uh, I just want to say, Koyanamik, for uh, taking the time to join us once again. Mm-hmm. Take okay. care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye bye. All right. Bye. Bye. That is, of course, the voice of uh, Alyssa P., and she, more commonly known as Alyssa P., her, her uh, full name is Alyssa P. Isaac, and uh, she was talking to us about the concert that uh, she had uh, brought together with other artists, and it is online. You can go and see it. You can make a donation at the same time if you so choose. It's called Wascapitan, and you, you can reach it at wascapitan.org. And it's a full lineup of great artists, um, including Jeremy Dutcher, uh, Patrick Watson, many artists uh, from maybe some new artists you don't know from Quebec. So uh, you might want to go and check this out. A full hour and a half show that you can uh, see there. And that is, of course, the funds that are raised uh, are going to be donations that go to the uh, La Danere Native Friendship Center in Joliet. And, of course, that is the city uh, where uh, Joyce Echequan lived and, of course, uh, where she unfortunately passed away at the hospital um, that we all know about in, in uh, Joliet Hospital, uh, her unfortunate death. 
And it's been a pleasure to have uh, Elisabeth on the show. And as you said, we do play her music here. You've probably heard uh, Wolves Don't Live by the Rules. And uh, Arnax is the other song that, that I believe we also have played here on the station. Thanks for listening to this part of the program. I'm David Moses, your host, and we will be back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show... James Lockyer, and he is a lawyer and a prominent social justice activist in Toronto. He's the founding director of the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, and he has been involved in exposing more than 20 wrongful convictions in Canada, including the cases of Guy Palmerin, David Milgard, Clayton Johnson, uh, Gregory Parsons, and Stephen Truscott. So, James, welcome to the show. Hello. James, before we, we get started on the story we're, we're kind of looking at, which I believe you, you are thinking that you might be able to help the people involved with this story, uh, but can you tell us something about uh, your work with Innocence Canada? And, uh, and, and by the way, congratulations, you were just appointed to the Order of Canada in 2018. Uh, thank you. Um, well, I, I've been working on uh, wrongful conviction cases uh, I really started doing uh, this kind of work in uh, the summer of 1992. Uh, it was Guy Paul Moran's conviction that got me going. Um, and uh, uh, since then, uh, I've been involved in uh, quite a number of wrongful convictions in Canada. What, what drew your attention to these things, to these kinds of convictions? Um, well, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, uh, by profession, I guess you could say, and uh, you know, working uh, uh, in the system, uh, doing that, uh, you'd be crazy if you didn't realize that uh, some people get convicted of crimes that they didn't commit. Um, it happened to, uh, I'm quite sure it happened to some clients of mine. Uh, there's always been a couple that I've still got in my mind that uh, uh, still trouble me, um, and. Uh, the, the, the criminal justice systems, it's very much a human process. So uh, inevitably, there will always be wrongful convictions. And uh, I've, uh, uh, I, I enjoy the work. It, it's very uh, rewarding work uh, uh, when you, uh, uh, you finally show that, a, uh, that someone was convicted of a crime that he or she didn't commit. Uh, it's usually a long, drawn-out process. But uh, as I say, when you... When you finally get to the end of it, it's it's very rewarding indeed. Mm. It it I'm sure it is very long and drawn out, uh, as you as you say. Um, I I'm just there's there's a couple of things that come to mind when I when I think about uh, trying to overturn a case and and what that involves. What what are some of the things that you have to go through uh, just to get the ball rolling in that regard? Well, you first of all, you have to get to uh, amass uh, the, the original case as best you can, trial transcripts, uh, uh, any uh, files that you can get from uh, the original prosecution or perhaps from the defense lawyers, uh, um, 
if they've still got their files and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then uh, you have to uh, search uh, for um, new evidence uh, that was not led at trial and was not available at trial. And uh, having done that, uh, there is a, a last resort mechanism in the criminal code of Canada uh, that allows you to go to the Minister of Justice, uh, the federal minister, uh, it's Mr. Lametti at the moment, uh, and uh, ask him or, or her, uh, um, whoever the justice minister is at the time, to uh, grant a, a remedy to the person whom you're working for. And the minister has uh, uh, considerable powers. Uh, he or she can uh, return the case to the uh, Provincial Court of Appeal where the conviction took place. Uh, they can, uh, through cabinet, return the case uh, to the Supreme Court of Canada to review. That leads to what happened to David Milgard, for example, and Stephen Truscott's another example. Mm. Or they can, uh, the minister can uh, uh, literally himself cross the conviction and direct a new trial. Mm. So, so that's where you go, and that's the remedies. But, you know, the Minister of Justice is very loath to allow these applications. Uh, uh, they're seen, I, I fear, as being a blot on the justice system when it's uh, discovered that someone's been wrongly convicted. So there's always going to be uh, a pushback uh, against alleging a, a wrongful conviction. But my view has always been that uh, if the system can acknowledge a wrongful conviction that actually means it's it's working yeah i was just going to say uh you know just because it might look you know poorly on the system uh you have potentially an innocent person sitting in jail what's 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 more worse uh you know of the two and and like you said is it not showing that the system is in fact working if it can show those things well uh, yes in the individual case i'm afraid our system for exposing wrongful convictions in Canada at the moment is not working. Uh, but uh, the present government has uh, acknowledged uh, this and acknowledged the need to, to create a, uh, an independent tribunal to review mm. uh, wrongful convictions. And uh, we're hoping that's going to come into being uh, during the present government's mandate. Mm. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind when we talk about this, uh, we go back to, to some of these cases that we were talking about with, with David Milgard and, and, and Guy Palmerin. Uh, you know, um, how do you think and, and has the, the influence of being able to now uh, look at DNA the way we can for cases, how much has that helped with, with things? Uh, it certainly helped in, in, in some of the cases that I've done and in some of the cases that others have done. Um, uh, the uh, the case that we're going to talk about in particular, I, I don't think uh, DNA is going to uh, be of any relevance. Um, I mean, DNA can only help you when really, really it's only going to help in a whodunit case mm. uh, and a case um, uh, where uh, samples have been uh, retained from perhaps the crime scene right. uh, that can be uh, attributed to someone through post-conviction DNA examination. That is assuming that uh, DNA hasn't previously been tried. Right. So uh, Guy Paul's case, Guy Paul Moran's case, for example, uh, 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 I uh, um, had uh, uh, the deceased uh, Panthers examined uh, during uh, post-conviction. Uh, and uh, uh, DNA in the form of uh, semen of the her attacker, her assailant, 
uh, was retrieved and identified. And back in 1995, it was shown not to be Guy Paul's. Mm. So he was then excluded as the person who had uh, raped and murdered Christine Jessup, a, mm. an eight-year-old girl. Uh, and uh, some of your listeners will know, just uh, a couple of months ago, uh, the uh, uh, we finally managed to uh, uh, identify the actual perpetrator mm. uh, who uh, regrettably committed suicide uh, five years ago uh, before he was identified as the perpetrator. In other words, the person who left the DNA at the scene. Yes. Um, so, you know, DNA uh, uh, certainly helps solve some crimes. Uh, David Milgard's case uh, was a classic case. Uh, that's where I came in on his case was when it came uh, to the DNA examination and we retrieved uh, uh, semen from the uh, uh, the uniform of the nurse who was the deceased, uh, um, uh, Gail Miller, uh, that uh, David Milgard had been convicted of murdering, and the uh, the semen uh, retrieved when it was uh, profiled uh, through DNA uh, profiling in 1997 um, proved not only that it had not come from David Milgard, but had in fact come from Larry Fisher, uh, whom uh, we've been claiming for years was the real killer, and we were right. Mm. David Fisher was subsequently uh, charged and convicted in 1999, some 30 years after the murder, and uh, sentenced to life, and uh, he died in prison a few years ago, serving Mm. that life sentence. Right. Uh, James, you do this work uh, pro bono for many, many of these cases. Um, that, of course, means you're working for free. And, and this is not a, a light kind of work that you, you're taking on. And it, it, it requires hours and hours of, of uh, work on your on your part and your team, I'm guessing. Um, but that is, is something, of course, that I think uh, all lawyers do, do, of course, do some prono, pro bono work. Uh, but uh, how does that fall into you know your 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 scope of 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 uh, being able to you know provide for yourself and those kind of things? I'm fine, believe me. I <laughs> I, uh, I consider myself a very much a, a, a privileged uh, member of our society because of the education I've got and and, and the work I do. Um, I mean, I think. Uh, to call it pro bono work, I mean, I suppose that's true, but, you know, the, uh, the, the the satisfaction and the joy that you get out of winning these cases is, uh, uh, is, is uh, it, it can't be monetarized. Mm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, some of these cases uh, I actually uh, uh, do get, uh, uh, I am able to be paid the individuals mm. in one way or another, but you're right, some of them I don't. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and, and bringing us up to date on, you know, what the work is that you do and, and your work with uh, Innocence Canada and uh, the, the founding of that, uh, as you said. And, and we appreciate you doing that. Uh, I just wanted to sort of set that up for us as we get to get started on the story that you're here to talk about. And we do appreciate you taking the time to do so. And uh, as we said, this has uh, come through from a story that, that uh, has aired on, on APTN. 
and it has to do with uh, two sisters that uh, were convicted um, in the murder of Anthony Joe Dolph, and uh, it's uh, Odelia and Nursa uh, Cusins. And um, and so, uh, you know, that that took place in, I, I think it was 1990. Let me see here. 1993. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And um, and so what what can you tell us about about the case itself in terms of uh, what happened at the time? Well, um, a man called uh, uh, Joe Dolph uh, was killed. Uh, in his home on February the 25th of 1993. He was uh, stabbed and uh, beaten to death. Uh, it is known that uh, three people besides Mr. Dolph were in the home at the time. Uh, Adelia, who you've already mentioned, and Nerissa as well. Adelia was 21 at the time and Nerissa was 19. And their 14-year-old nephew, Jason. Um, all three of them were charged with murder in uh, Mr. Dolph's death, and uh, all three of them were convicted of murder. Uh, Jason, as a 14-year-old, was convicted as a uh, what's called a young offender and uh, uh, received uh, uh, a five-year sentence as a young offender for second-degree murder. Um, and Adelia and Nerissa uh, were convicted of murder in adult court by a, a jury in, in uh, Yorkton, uh, in Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, are given life sentences, which they are still serving. Um, and uh, the case was brought to my attention uh, two or three months ago by by David Milgard. Um, mm. and, and David asked me if I would uh, have a look at it and see if I could help. And I have looked at the case. I've, I have the trial transcripts. I've read them uh, cover to cover. And uh, I do believe that I can help the sisters. I think... Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, they are uh, victims of a miscarriage of justice or miscarriages of justice. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm very much on their cases, and uh, uh, I hope I'm going to be able to do something for them. And, and how do you think that they have been mis- miscarriages of justice? Well, I mean, I, I think, first of all, for your listeners, it's going to be no surprise that uh, two Indigenous women uh, convicted by an all-white jury uh, of murder immediately raises antennae of mm. the miscarriage of justice. Mm. Um, I, uh, uh, Saskatchewan uh, uh, is a province uh, that uh, today, perhaps hopefully not as much as in the early 90s, but even today uh, is still uh, rife with uh, uh, racism. And we know that towards Indigenous people, and we, we know that from very recent cases that have happened there. Mm. So that, uh, and what I look for in a case like this is, I look for uh, classic signs of a wrongful conviction. And that was the instant classic sign to Indigenous women convicted by an all-white jury. And then when you move into the case, the immediate question you ask yourself is, what are these very young uh, indigenous people doing in the home of Mr. Dolph in the first place. Yeah. He was 70 years old. So there's uh, between 49 and uh, uh, 56 years uh, of age difference there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Dolph uh, uh, knew Adelia and Nerissa because he was or had been um, a, uh, a janitor at the residential school that they were at, another 
sign of problems in this case. And uh, he, uh, uh, he had made, or uh, that night, he had made uh, sexual advances to both uh, Adelia and Nerissa in his home. And they were tempted there uh, along with their nephew by, uh, by really the promise of, of uh, alcohol uh, and drugs. Mm. Um, and as well, uh, when you got into the case, you quickly realized that the perpetrator of the violence uh, was uh, the nephew Jason by his own admission. Uh, and uh, that the he seems to have, uh, as a 14-year-old, perhaps to impress, who knows, but seems to have completely lost his temper and his cool and uh, a very violently attacked uh, Mr. Dolph uh, in a sort of a response to his advances towards the two girls. Uh, and uh, uh, that's what caused, uh, he caused Mr. Dolph's death. Uh, the two girls and, and, and probably Jason himself uh, were uh, in a highly inebriated conditions uh, through uh, drugs and alcohol, the alcohol particularly having been supplied by Mr. Dolph. And the two girls as well were convicted uh, to a great extent on the statements that they gave the police, statements that were never recorded. So you had to depend on the police for truthfulness of what they claim the sisters had said to them because mm. they said the sisters had said to them things that to some extent implicated them in the assault uh, on Mr. Dolph and that in the context of the uh, sisters being held uh, at the police station for four or five days uh, in uh, contrary to uh, a judicial order that had been made that they should be shipped to a nearby prison and they weren't. Uh, they were kept in the police station for several days, and over the course of those days, uh, the police kept visiting them or going into their cells and, and taking more statements from them and never seeing fit to record them except by way of uh, a pen on paper in their, their notebooks. You put all that together, and uh, uh, you got a case that uh, uh, reeks of uh, a miscarriage of justice for both sisters. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And my guest here on Moment of Truth is James Lockyer. He's a lawyer and a prominent social justice activist in Toronto, and he is the director, a founding director of the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted. We're speaking to him about the case involving uh, Odelia and uh, Nerissa Quisance, and, uh, and there, when they were tried and convicted in the murder of uh, Joe Dolph, uh, he was 70 years old, in uh, 1993. And uh, he has uh, taken this up to look further into the case for them. As he mentioned, um, this was uh, brought forward uh, to him by David Milgard. And uh, uh, James, you mentioned that, you know, the violence, um, violence uh, in the case. And I remember seeing a little bit of this story as the girls described, you know, from the advances that uh, that Joe Dolph was making on them. And they were, of course, as you say, they were they were probably inebriated. And they they uh, if they were 
defending themselves. What, what is the situation in that kind of a of a of a, of a point when you know someone is is the aggressor and you're defending yourself? Well, that that's sort of that that that's sort of where this case uh, falls. Is the uh, if Adelia and Narissa were uh, in their actions uh, were defending themselves against uh, advances by Mr. Dolph towards them. And then Jason, the nephew, stepped in and lost his cool mm. completely and uh, uh, and killed Mr. Dolph, then that would uh, absolve uh, the two sisters of, of involvement in his homicide uh, uh, and, and leave Jason as solely responsible for the homicide. Uh, and, and there's a tremendous irony to this case. Uh, there's never, even at the trial of the two sisters, there was no dispute by the prosecution that the primary killer was Jason. It was just the Crown claim that the two sisters played a role in the homicide, uh, with Jason uh, being the primary person responsible for it. And yet he uh, was uh, out of jail in the uh, in, in, in 18 months because he was a youth, a yes. young uh, and the two sisters, uh, 27 years later, are still serving their life sentences. Uh, Adelia, and, and that's a part of the miscarriage of justice. Yes. The the, uh, the racism involved in this case that uh, we all know that our jails are stacked full of indigenous people way beyond mm. the uh, proportion uh, that they make up of the population. And, and the two sisters are such a good example of this, that they, they were eligible for parole after 10 years. Uh, Adelia is still in jail 27 years later. Uh, she was uh, sometimes given a sort of a temporary parole, uh, but uh, brought in for drinking violations. Mm. Uh, her sister uh, uh, is now on the lam, Narissa. Uh, she uh, left the halfway house she was in uh, a year or so ago uh, and is now uh, living uh, somewhere in, in British Columbia, as I understand it, and doing well but there's a warrant out for her arrest right. uh, to put her back in jail. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's hardly surprising. Just take these two sisters and look at them, and you immediately see how it is that our prison system is so uh, uh, stacked with uh, indigenous, uh, uh, indigenous people. So that miscarriage of justice that occurred, I believe, at their trial or series of miscarriages of justice has just carried on to up to 2020 and is going into 2021 in a few in a few weeks. Yeah. Now, uh, with um, Odelia, I understand she's also has a daughter and uh, and a partner that is waiting for her. Uh, she has two daughters. Um, uh, she uh, uh, she has a partner, uh, Jay, uh, a husband actually, mm. and uh, he's uh, uh, shown extraordinary. Uh, uh, Fidelity, uh, perhaps that's the wrong word, fidelity, faith uh, uh, in uh, their relationship. He's uh, never looked, uh, uh, never thought of leaving her for an instant, uh, even though uh, she tried to persuade him to when mm. she knew she was going to be locked up. She didn't know for 27 years, but right. she knew it was going to be for a long time. And he stuck by her. He's still sticking by her. And, and, uh, he really is a, a remarkable man, and uh, we got to make sure we get her out of there uh, 
while he's still uh, uh, strong and, and, and going strong uh, uh, in life. Well, yeah, like you said, uh, there no one here is getting any younger in, in this. Uh, in this, so. Um, w- but Adelia is, is looks. She's a very beautiful woman. She's she looks tremendous, and uh, uh, and Narissa as well. So you know, we've. I, I I've taken on the job, and you're right. I, I'm going to have people helping me. You bet I am. Uh, there are a lot of people helping me. David Milgar being one. Uh, uh, and uh, we're going to get uh, we're going to get this case before the minister, uh, hopefully uh, by the spring of next year, and and then we're going to have to push him to uh, to give us an answer quickly. Mm. You know, people can uh, go and see more about this story if they go to the APT, APTN uh, website and and look these stories up. A Soto woman uh, uh, says she's wrongly convicted. It's a two-parter that uh, is up on the APTN national news site. Uh, but uh, also, James, just I, I also wanted to ask you. You know, one of the things that is in regard to uh, 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 some of the other stories that you have looked into is, and this is just in general, eyewitnessing. Um, it was an interesting little piece of information I read in there about about the um, how accurate eyewitnessing is, and uh, it doesn't seem to be that that uh, accurate. Eyewitness identification? No, it doesn't play a role in in Adelia and Nerissa's no. case, but no. uh, certainly erroneous eyewitness identification by uh, uh, a witness to a, an event is a well-known source of wrongful convictions. Absolutely. Yeah, and I guess... The, the several mo- of the ones I've done have involved just that, uh, erroneous eyewitness identification that a jury has relied on uh, when they shouldn't have uh, because the eyewitness got it wrong. The eyewitness uh, uh, was doing his or her best to be truthful, mm. but, uh, uh, of course, uh, that's not necessarily the point. It's not just a case of honesty. It's also a case of, of, of the reliability of mm. the evidence I mean, accuracy uh, 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 jurors and judges yep. can uh, um, give a, a credence to that they should uh, James in in light of that information in light that it's it's not necessarily accurate or that accurate in some cases um, I, there was a number about 77 percent and I'm not sure where that that related to but I'm just wondering how how well known is that fact and does does it weigh is that brought to people's attention in regard when there is an eyewitness situation? Uh, yes, it's it's certainly something the justice system knows about. Uh, and yes, uh, juries are always warned uh, that an honest witness can still be, mis- an honest identification witness can in fact be mistaken and they should be uh, very careful of that. Uh, does it work in practice? Uh very often, I'm afraid it doesn't. Um, the uh, 77% statistic that you talked about comes from the U.S. Uh, the Innocence Project in the U.S. has now um, shown uh, that uh, persons have been wrongly convicted in more than 300 cases uh, through post-conviction DNA uh, testing, um, which have shown that the individuals in prison are wrongly convicted. Uh that's an extraordinary statistic that is not uh, reflected. It's certainly not as bad here as it is down there. Uh, their statistics uh, are accentuated by uh, their justice systems, which are uh, 
pretty ghastly in many parts of the U.S., especially in the uh, the South. Um, and most of those, uh, and I say most, uh, the vast majority of those wrongful convictions uh, are convictions of uh, black men uh, misidentified uh, by uh, white witnesses. Um, so you can see uh, the uh, systemic racism that's inevitably involved in in uh, in those convictions. Mm. Uh, things aren't as bad up here as they are down uh, as they are down there, but we have we have the same problem. Uh, uh, it's just not as acute uh, as it is down in the United States. Right. We have a problem up here uh, with eyewitness identification, but down there it's an enormous problem. Mm. James, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us on the show and share this with us. Okay, it's a pleasure. And that is the voice of James Lockyer. He is a lawyer and prominent social justice activist in Toronto. He's the founding director of the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted. And he has been involved in exposing more than 20 wrongful convictions in Canada, including the cases of Guy Palmerin, David Milgaard, Clayton Johnson, Gregory Parsons, and Stephen Truscott of which uh, several of these cases have become the subject of public inquiries. We've been talking to him uh, about the uh, case of the two sisters of Odelia and Nerissa Cusance and her and their trial that uh, ended up with them going to jail for the murder of Anthony Joe Dolph, and that was in uh, 1993. That's this part of the show. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We always appreciate the fact that you are listening to our show each and every day, and we will see you again. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.